Good morning again. Welcome again to worship here. First day of 2023. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, I'm Scott Blevins, one of the teaching pastors with Garfield Memorial Church. And what a great way to begin the new year. Um, gathering and worship together, whether we're worshiping together in this space or worshiping together online, or maybe you're catching up on this worship at a later time and encountering it, you know, six months or six years from now. However, that works out. It's good to be worshiping God, worshiping God together as a body. Uh, we are launching a new teaching series here with the new year, and the teaching series is Welcome. And, and it's all about hospitality, all about welcoming folks in. There we go. Uh, the key verse for this series, do not neglect to show hospitality, by, for by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing it. And that's the verse, kind of the inspiration behind this series that we're moving into here on Welcome. And we're, we're welcoming a lot of different things over the course of this series, not the least of which is you. Today, we're starting with welcoming the new year. And, and for that, I've taken, I've put the, the, the word that we took out of our key scripture, I put it back in for here. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Now, we're, again, we're showing hospitality to a lot of different folks and a lot of different groups over the coming weeks. But to strangers, by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing it. The reason why I picked strangers to put that back in today, um, I, didn't, I didn't pick it. The writer of the book of Hebrews picked it. I put it back in for this message is because welcoming the new year is a lot like welcoming a stranger. When you welcome a stranger into your house, into your church, into wherever you are, you never know exactly what you're going to get. In addition to being a stranger, they might actually be strange. And, and when, you know, uh, you don't know what a strange person's going to do. You don't know what they're going to say. You don't know how they're going to act. You don't know how they're going to react. You don't know where they're going to go. Um, and, and welcoming a stranger is a lot like welcoming a new year. Um, we welcome some Something very strange into our house this year is a puppy. Um, his name is Panks. He's my wife's dog. Uh, let me say this again. He's my wife's dog. Um, she's much more of a dog person than I am. But when we welcomed him, he was so cute. He was about that big. Oh, yeah. He's not that big anymore. He's now actually he's probably gained about 40 pounds since that picture was taken. He's just gigantic. Um, we welcome Panks. The cats, not so much. Uh, they did not welcome the dog. In fact, the dog, as much as we've welcomed him into our house, there are places in our house that are off limits to him. Um, he is right now looking into where the cat is hiding and eating and, uh, and doing his business. Panks isn't welcome there. There are other places in our house that Panks isn't welcome. We have baby gates that we keep up to keep him restricted and contained. Um, if we're going to welcome the new year, if we're going to welcome the new year, we need to welcome the God who is the author of the new year. And if we're welcoming God, if we're really welcoming God into our lives and into this year, we don't get to do what we did to Panks. We can't wall him off for certain things. We can't say, God, I'll welcome you, but don't go there. Or, God, I'll welcome you, but don't do that. Or, God, I'll welcome you, but you can't see this. God, I'll welcome you, but don't ask me to do that. Then we're not really welcoming God. And, and here's the reality. We can't even really today welcome the new year, not the whole year. We're not guaranteed the whole year, right? We're not guaranteed we, the, today. Today, we're going to start with today. This is the day that the Lord has made, 
Let us rejoice and be glad in it. That's kind of our launching point for the message today in welcoming the new year is to remind ourselves this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day. That, that word is very important. And the context of that verse is very, very important. I don't know how many of you in here or, or, or worshiping with us online grew up singing the song. This is the, the song that based on this verse. Do you remember that? I'm going to try. Don't try to follow along with me singing. Chances are you can't sing nearly as bad as I do. And you'll just, you know, it, it won't match. But, you know, this is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made, that the Lord has made. We will rejoice. We will rejoice and be glad in it. That was, we sang it at vacation Bible school. We sang sang it at church camp, we sang it in Sunday school, and as kids it was always happy, 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 um, with no context, with no context. Um, if you've been a follower of Jesus for more than 15 minutes, you probably already understand that life is not happy, happy, joy, joy for followers of Jesus. That, that, that in fact, for followers of Jesus, life is less likely to be happy, happy, joy, joy than if you didn't have anything to do with Jesus. Um, Jesus said, in the world you will have trouble. Jesus said, they persecuted me, they're going to persecute anybody who follows me. Life is not happy, happy, joy, joy. And this business of saying, this is the day that the Lord has made, let us rejoice and be glad in it. we got to get really, really concrete and specific about the this. This is the day. The writer of this psalm is not inviting us to live in denial, to live with blindfolds on or blinders around our eyes, to pretend that the bad stuff doesn't happen, and let's just close our eyes, pretend it's all good, and say, happy, happy, joy, joy. That's not what Jesus was about. That's not what the writer of this psalm was about. we got to back up in Psalm 118 to get the context of saying, this is the day that the Lord has made. You see, there's a lot of blessings that come up and that are mentioned in Psalm 118. The psalmist mentions a lot of great things that God does with us and for us and even to us. He mentions those things, but each of those blessings implies some really horrible stuff going on. We're going to review that briefly. want to give those to you. not going to go all of them because we don't have enough time, but we're going to hit some highlights here. In this psalm, the psalmist writes, Out of my distress... I called to the Lord, which implies that he was in distress, right? There was something really distressing going on, and he was calling to God out of that. The psalmist says, I look in triumph on those who hate me, which means there's people around that hate him. Right there. It's not I'm thinking about the people who hate me. I'm looking at the people who hate me. They're right there. These people that hate, that reject me, that condemn me, that judge me, that don't want to have anything to do with me, that are talking smack about me behind my back. I'm looking at them. They're right there. They're right there. The Lord is on my side, he says, which implies that there are sides and that me and God, us and God, and then there's a whole bunch of folks over here hating and rejecting. The psalmist talks about finding refuge in God. If you need refuge, there's something you need refuge from. Or my high school English teacher would say, from which you need refuge. It means there's 
bad, distressing, painful, threatening people or circumstances in our life from which we need to hide because it's too much for us. If we don't need to hide, we don't need a refuge. If there's a situation out there, that if, if it's everything we can handle, everything, if it's not too much for us, we don't need a refuge. The fact that the psalmist is praising God for being his refuge means there's stuff going on in my life that I cannot handle, and I just need to get away from it. I just need to get away from it. He says, nations surround me. Nation, nations it's not just a few haters that are out there. It's not just one or two people. It's nations of people. It's a gigantic group of people that are against me, that are against us. And this image that he uses to describe these people that are against him, he says, they're surrounding me like burning thorny bees. I don't like regular bees. But do you kind of get this image that's going on here? I mean, bees are bad enough. All, you can't get rid of them. They're all, you ever been sur I've been surrounded by, well, I ran from bees before they could surround me. I hate bees. I hate them. When they get around you, you can't. They're coming from all directions. And every time they touch you, it hurts. They got these stingers on them. You know what bees are, but these bees are on fire. Flame and thorns and stingers, and they're everywhere. And I can't get them all. This is the context that the psalmist is writing in. Under such, well, pushed so hard, he says, I'm pushed so hard that I am about to fall. These circumstances, these enemies, these haters, it is so much that I'm about to go down here. And I'm not, I don't think he's talking about he, he pushed me and I fell down. I think the psalmist is about to go down. And if you've ever been in those kind of circumstances where you feel like, I'm about, I'm, I'm, I'm about done. I'm about done. I'm going down, and I don't know that I'm getting back up. But then the psalmist is defiantly says, I shall not die. You know what? If, if, if you go to your favorite restaurant, and they're out of your favorite dessert and they can't serve you, you don't, you don't respond to that by saying, hey, but I'm not going to die. I'm not. You say, I'm not going to die when the threat of danger and death is real. I'm facing this. It could kill me, but I'm not going to die. This is a statement of defiance in the face of real threat of imminent death and saying, I'm not going to die. I'm not going to die. You know how bad circumstances have to be when you have to insist to yourself and the people around you, I'm not going to die? The psalmist knew that. The psalmist knew that. And on top of all of this, he caps it all off, or maybe it bottoms out, depending on your perspective on this, by saying, the Lord has punished me severely. Implying that some were part of this distress at the very least is his own fault. The result of his own bad decisions, his own bad actions, his own bad attitudes. The way he's botched up relationships or, or his, we don't know. Something happened, he did something so bad that God's punishing him. At least part of this distress is his own fault. 
but he's in the middle of it. Surrounded by it. Seeking refuge from it. His strength is overwhelmed. This is the context in which the psalmist writes, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. He's not denying the harsh realities of life, not denying the suffering, not denying the pain, not denying the heartache, not denying the trouble that enemies from the outside bring into his life, not denying the trouble that his own mess-ups have brought into his life, facing it all squarely and saying, God is good. His love endures forever. This is the day that the Lord has made. This day, let's rejoice and be glad in it. You see, this is the day that the Lord has said, God is the author of this day. Whatever this day brings in our lives, God is the author of this day. And to welcome this day is to welcome God. To reject this day in resentment, bitterness, anger, frustration, say, I don't want it, get it out, what's wrong with all of this? To reject the day is to reject God. Because God is the author of this day. Welcoming this day is welcoming God. And if we're going to welcome this day and welcome God, that means reorienting our lives around him. See, right now we've sort of welcomed the dog into our household. My wife more than me. She's got a bigger heart than I do. But we're still keeping restricted. We don't welcome him to every aspect of our lives. When we have guests over, he goes in the kennel because he's got no EQ and no personal boundaries and, and just, it's a mess. So he goes in the kennel. He's not welcome in that part of our life yet. He's not. But if we really want to welcome God, we really need to welcome this day, whatever it brings, which means reorienting our lives around God. Mary understood this. When the angel came and said, you're blessed among all people, you're going to give birth to the Messiah, the Son of God. She knew. She didn't know everything that was going to happen. She couldn't have. She couldn't know everything that that implied, but she knew it meant a radical reorienting of her life. She knew in that small town that her being betrothed, firmly and wholly committed to marrying Joseph, who everyone knew that she belonged to him, but they hadn't, they hadn't consummated their marriage yet, the wedding itself hadn't happened, then when she turned up pregnant, she knew that was going to wreck her life in the eyes of everyone who thought Mary had been fooling around. Joseph thought that. He was going to push her out, divorce her quietly, didn't want to publicly shame her or humiliate her, but the angel came to him, and then he reoriented his life around God. And then the emperor issued the, uh, the census, and they had to travel halfway across the country, and they did it, orienting their life around God. That was the day. The day that their neighbors said, Mary's been fooling around. The day that the neighbors said, Joseph doesn't have a backbone marrying this woman who's pregnant with someone else's child. The day that the emperor said, you've got to travel across the country eight and a half months pregnant, and they did it. And by doing it, they welcomed and received the day, and they welcomed and they received God. This reorienting is an essential part of following Jesus. The psalmist said it this way, I thank you, speaking to God in verse 21, I think I got this one up here, yeah. I thank you that you have answered me 
and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. The stone the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. We know now, the writer of the psalm didn't know it then, but we know now that that stone that the builders rejected is Jesus. Now, we got to understand, and it's easy sometimes uh, to have a, 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 a arrogant attitude about contemporary times versus ancient times. We've got a lot of amazing buildings and structures in our world today. A lot in, in the Cleveland metro area that are really, really impressive. But the builders in this day and age, they knew their stuff. They knew stuff we don't know. They built things in ways and by means that we still haven't figured out. The pyramids, the, the stones that formed the foundation of the temple in Jerusalem, thousands and thousands of years ago, these stones were put in place, and they were so well cut and so well shaped and so well placed without any diesel engines, without any forklifts, without any you know, uh, 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 artificial powered means. These stones were so well placed, massive big stones, that they, they've stood for thousands of years. They're so close together, you can't even slide a piece of paper in between them. Builders in that day knew their business. And, and the, if, if they said, you don't want this stone in your building, this stone is not going to be right, it's not going to stand, it's going to mess up the shape, it's going to mess up the structure, get this stone out of here. We're not going to use that stone, we don't want this stone. And God came and said, not only do we want this stone as part of the building, but this is the chief cornerstone. This is the stone that's going to be placed first, and every other stone in the building is ultimately placed and shaped around that. That's Jesus. He's the chief cornerstone. And the psalmist is saying, everything in our lives, everything in our lives needs to be shaped around this chief cornerstone, who we now know is Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, our Messiah. We need to orient our lives around him. If the builders reject the stone, that means the experts of the day the folks that know the most in their field, the people that everyone turns to for interviews on the evening news and the radio talk shows and the morning talk shows and wherever else, the folks that they're going to say, what do you think about this? They're all saying, don't do that. And we're saying, yeah, that's what we're doing. Don't orient your life around them, him. They say, that's who we're orienting our life around. We've already rejected him. I know, but God says he's the one. That's kind of where some of those enemies come from. Is rejecting the opinions and the, of the experts who say, this is how to do life. This is how to shape your life. This is how to mold your life. And we're saying, it's Jesus. I'm going to shape myself and my life and my family and all that I do around Jesus. And we do that as individuals and as the church around Jesus and no one and nothing else. And then whatever the day brings, we say, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. If we can say that, then we can start to say this is the year that the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. This is the year that the Lord has made. We don't know what this year is going to bring. We don't. It could be awful. It could be good. It could be a mixture of awful and good. It could be good for some and bad for others. We don't know what this year is going to bring, but we know who the author of this year is. And his author of this year is the same person who was the author of this day, which is our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ.
And we can respond to the events and the circumstances of this year in one of two general ways. We can reject it and complain and resist what comes. Or we can receive it and rejoice and be glad in it, whatever it is, whatever it is. There's a great passage in the book, The Fellowship of the Rings. The movies were good. I think the books are awesome. And, and the words that I'm about to read to you, they were in the movies, but they're at a different spot in the movies. And I think the power of them really in, in where Tolkien puts these words in his book is even more significant. In the movies, they're in the middle of bad stuff going on when, when Gandalf says this stuff. In the book, these words come with Gandalf and Frodo sitting in Frodo's house in comfort in an idyllic situation. In the movies, Frodo is the youngest of the four main hobbits that are in the, in the story. In the book, Frodo's the oldest. He's just about to turn 50. He's settled into a life that he really likes. He's surrounded by friends. He's got a great home. He's in a peaceful neighborhood where nothing really awful ever happens. All of the dangers are far away. He's got all of the comfort and all of the serenity that anyone could ever ask for. And then Gandalf shows up one night, and he's got this, this grim message. I'll just I'll read it to you here. Gandalf says, But last night I told you of Sauron the Great, the Dark Lord. The rumors that you have heard are true. He has indeed risen again and left his stronghold in Mirkwood and returned to his ancient fastness in the dark tower of Mordor. That name even you hobbits have heard of, like a shadow on the borders of old stories. Always after a defeat and a respite, the shadow takes another shape and grows again. So Bill or Frodo, who was ready to settle into a comfortable life, is now confronted by the grim reality that this is gonna be a bad year. He doesn't know what's gonna happen, but he knows it's not gonna be what he thought it was. The darkness is growing. There's bad stuff on the horizon. There's bad stuff that's been going on all around him yet. They've just been kinda of insulated from it. And, and Gandalf brings it right to his face, right in his house, right as he's sitting in his easy chair with the sun rising on his idyllic situation. And this is what Frodo says. I wish it need not have happened in my time. Isn't that, I do that a lot. Man, why couldn't have this happened at some other time? Why this have to happen in my lifetime? Why this have to happen to me? Why couldn't it be somewhere else away from me? The reality is so much of the bad stuff in the world does happen to other folks away from me. And I, like Frodo, have had a lot of insulation in my life. Maybe you've had that too, maybe not. We have different situations and different backgrounds and different experiences, but it's so easy when it comes to say, I wish I didn't have to go through this whether it's a loved one dying of cancer or the loss of a job or social rejection. Why? Why do I have to go through this? I wish it had not happened in my time, said Frodo. So do I, said Gandalf, and so do all who live to see such times, but it's not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that's been given us. 
All we have to decide is what to do with the times that have been given us. We don't know what this year's going to hold. Chances are it's going to hold a mixture of pleasant things and unpleasant things, a mixture of what things that we perceive as good and things that we experience as bad, a mixture of delightful things and painful things, a mixture of, of, uh, of inexpressible joy and agonizing grief. It's most likely going to be a mixture of that. But whatever the year brings, whatever each day brings, what should we do with that time that's been given us? Let's rejoice. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. Whatever dis we're distress we are in, whatever distress we're in, we can rejoice in the fact that we can call upon the Lord who's good and his steadfast love endures forever. Whatever haters and whoever hates us, we can remember that, that whoever has rejected us and hates us and has formed up against us, that Jesus is on our side. We can align ourselves to him and mold our lives around him so whoever is against us, Jesus is with us. Whoever hates us, Jesus receives us. Whatever is threatening us and chasing us and bearing down upon us and threatening to drag us under or burn us up or stab us in the heart, whatever that is, we can find our refuge in God. Whatever surrounds us, pushes us down and overwhelms our strength, Jesus is our salvation, whatever it is. And even if we screw up so badly that we incur God's wrath, rather than sending us to our deaths in punishment, Jesus came and died in our place so that we can live. And then when we're threatened with death, if there's something right there in our face that really is so bad that it could end our very life, we can say in defiance, I'm not going to die. But the reality is, even if we do die, we get a better life back. Jesus gives us our life back, and it will be better and more glorious than anything we've ever experienced and we can ever imagine. Whatever it is. I think this is why Paul and so many other Christians in the early church and even Christians today who face genuine torment and torture and persecution for their faith, sometimes being imprisoned, sometimes being chopped up with sawn in half with swords, chopped up with axes, eaten alive by wild animals, burned to death while alive and awake, that they were able to Face it, rejoicing and singing, saying, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. Welcome to 2023. I'm about to wrap up here. I, I am early today. This almost never happens. It's a festivist miracle. <laughs> Welcome, 2023. Welcome this day. Welcome this year, whatever it brings. Let's rejoice. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. In Jesus' name, amen.